0: She has a big firm background in management consulting and organizational change, and an MA in Gender Cultural Studies, which she uses to advise tech and other male-majority companies, like law and finance, to help them advance women, foster inclusion of all kinds, and reduce workplace bias. She is also a big advocate for inclusion in general, not only for women, but also for the members of the LGBTQ plus community and for racial minorities. She is a speaker, a rebel boss lady, and future thought leader maker. Firecrackers, please welcome family. Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark. A digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. Well, family, the Rebel Boss Ladies here with me today, and I am so excited to have you. And thank you so much for coming.
1: Thank you so much for having me on.
0: So you are—you have this energy i just absolutely love the energy that you just like exude through your social pose and I've, i had seen you before i was actually in one of your branches uh, when the yeah. whole pandemic thing started <laughs> and you're such a fun person and and there's this thing though that i i i just so you're like a gender consultant in silicon valley right mm-hmm. so it's it's like a mixture of you being like really like this high energy but at the same time you're just like you know women to the top like <laughs> so i just want to know more about what you do and how you got there because it's just it's so interesting
1: yeah sure absolutely and i really appreciate that yeah oh gosh i mean at the beginning of the pandemic my sister and i who has a similar energy to me we both were like we're missing our friends already we're missing meeting interesting women and people from all over the globe like let's do this thing where we bring together feminists for a brunch it was awesome yeah thanks for reminding me of that that was such a feel good moment from the beginning. Um, Okay, so I began life as a I studied women's studies in college and everyone said women's studies degree will lead you nowhere. And it's true. It's not like nursing or teaching or law or architecture where you go to school for that and then you become that. Uh, It is more of a pursuit of you know ideas, like a liberal arts degree. But I've been a lifelong feminist, and so I found ways to weave it in, whether it was outside my career. So I was a management consultant for a long time and a public relations consultant, and I would do feminist activism and queer community organizing outside of my job and also inside my job, you know, in employee resource groups and stuff. And then after the most recent uh, election in our country um, where Trump was elected, who is not my fave, I really had a wake up call um, where I was like, all of this feminist activism that I'm doing outside of work I don't want to give those nine to five hours to companies that are not making the world better anymore. So I was just helping companies downsize, upsize, get a new computer program, just regular business consult, management consulting at the uh, medium to large business size, and so I slowly shifted my clients. First of all, I looked at all the research on what advances women in the workplace, women of all colors and women of all orientations, so not just hashtag white feminism. And I looked at the roadblocks that stood in between women uh, and their dreams of climbing the corporate ladder or even getting hired by a cool company in the first place. And so I looked at the research and then I built a methodology based on what I already knew about how companies change, what really helps them move forward and what really doesn't matter at all. And it's just a waste of time. And so I slowly over time, shifted all of my clients into uh, gender equity clients. And so, and I also specified much more into tech companies. And so I mostly just do tech companies now and it's such a thrill for me because i take a company that mostly doesn't think they have any problems but someone in the company is calling me and saying i think we have a few problems i think we might have a bro culture can you just come help us and to help them move along and see how some of their policies are, are racist and are holding back women of color and folks of color of all genders and how how they could be more friendly to the trans community and to non-binary folks who are ever increasingly wanting to enter the workplace and not check the male or female boxes, for example, to feel included. And and even how Asian men are getting uh, discriminated against in their uh, ascension to the C-suite. There are major sort of glass ceilings for them all along the way. So this is in my heart, the most interesting topics. Outside of work, all I'm doing is reading about race, class and gender and equity. And so now I finally have woven it together with my career.
0: That, that just sounds, it's so awesome. I mean, because the, the one thing when I think about Silicon Valley and like tech companies, yeah. it is so male dominated. It is yeah. just so male dom- And it's been like that yeah. since the beginning. Um, like I think about the unicorns and the, of, you know, tech, it's just men.
1: Oh gosh, you're so right. I mean, when you look at who gets funded, it's, abominable, right? Folks that have good ideas, only 2% of people that get funded are black women. And black women make up lots more than 2%. It's more like 7%, right? And in terms of who has good ideas, like, everybody knows lots of the most creative ideas in terms of um, entrepreneurship, arts, et activism have come from the black community. So there are probably even more black women with amazing ideas that are not getting funded. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And wh- I loved what you said that it's very male dominated. So what I say to the companies when I go in and help them is, I know, so you may still have a male majority, like male, you might have more men working there at your company. I suspect you will. But it doesn't have to feel like a bro culture. You can have an inclusive environment that has pretty much the very same people on your roster. I still think you should change your roster because there's a, you can get women to work there who are awesome, right? You don't have to have the same roster. But if you're still thinking, I don't want to change the roster, I want to get better, that's still possible.
0: What is the pro-culture?
1: Yeah, it's like um, it has a bunch of elements that often go together that are often popular, often found in fraternities, college fraternities. So aggressiveness, competitiveness, lots of drinking, uh, each man for himself, um and sort of tear the others down as you rise up and make fun of each other sort of uh verbally jesting with jousting with each other in meetings interruption culture so those are all things that uh sure some women like them and many women many men do not like them right for starters but it's it's a very specifically aggressive culture that doesn't work for all people so if you're going to have a very specific culture like that you're def- companies definitely are going to lose out on top talent people who don't want to play that game
0: uh, i completely agree with you like i uh, i actually you know i worked in corporate for a long time and i have this horror story especially in this in this type of cultures how sexist there and even if you're there as a woman you might, you can be sitting there in the same room they're still going to throw the sexist joke or comment and it's just so uncomfortable
1: yep yep or they're going to uh, I'm helping a tech company right now whose main problem is every time a woman is hired and it's a video game company and they don't have a lot of women working there and every time a woman is hired she has to go through not only first day on the job which is just awkward for everyone that additional layer of, am I hot enough? Am I too hot a lot?
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, there's so much that is wrong in this world. (laughs) But whenever it's like everything has to do with the patriarchy and how not only patriarchy in in terms of, you know, how women have been relegated to like second class citizen and just seen as as an object where we are objectified, unfortunately. But also regarding race, because I have seen that, you've been also very, very active with hashtag Black Lives Matter. And I think that's also super important. So um, what is your takeaway from all this, everything that's been happening in the U.S. in the past few months?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's quite honestly dizzying. I'm white, for those of you listening to the podcast. Um, I grew up never hearing anything about my white privilege, as is fairly common for most white families in America. And... I learned very little about racism. I learned that MLK f- fought against racism a long time ago. And that was it. And then I went to college and studied women's studies. And luckily, the professors there were very intersectional. They were talking about all women. And we specifically led, read a lot of Black feminists, and a lot of Chicana feminists, and a lot of uh, feminists from the, the, the whole globe. So not white women's first world problems. And it really woke me up to my privilege and to the ways in which I as a white woman can really help end racism in a different way than the black community can, just like men in workplaces. Have an easier time and just a different time too, turning the lever on sexism in the workplace. When they call each other out, like, hey, dude, that's not cool when he says a sexist joke. That just carries different and more clout in the circles where you need it to. So since college, I've been doing community activism, multiracial community activism in terms of feminism and in terms of anti-racist causes and All kinds of power to the people causes which um has been really interesting it's been very hard until recently to get a a lot of other white people on board to be frank um a few weeks before george floyd was murdered i hosted a webinar uh you might have seen it it was hey, white feminists and queer people, let's talk about allyship and anti-racism. And so it was meant to be an on-ramp to the work of anti-racism. And so I referred to all these different uh, folks of color to take people to the next level, but it was like, hey, you already know me. I'm like this feminist and this queer person and you trust me, so come, let's talk about anti-racism and why you should care about it. And we had 150 people there and I still get so many watches on it. So that for me, that was my, uh, my first step in waking up white people. I was sort of doing my own work before that and, now, and then I felt the urge to um, help bring other white people on board. And now, so then we had June and July where it was suddenly very cool to be posting Black Lives Matter and also marching and doing, something, doing some minor things about it. And my job now, the, my moral job, not my paid job, is to help uh white women keep that flame turned up and to keep the pressure on and to keep the pressure on both in fighting racism and in addressing our own white privilege and wielding it for good being kind of a race traitor
0: when this whole thing just went off because racism is not from 2020 racism has has been present for like hundreds of years we know that but This year, it was very interesting to see the aftermath of everything that happened because it was like many different things, more or less in the same period of time. And I could see in many of the feeds, women, white women who were like hashtag all lives matter. And I was like, people are not getting, they're not getting it. And it's 2020 and people should start understanding that this is something that, I mean, check your privilege, you know, because that that's the whole point. It's, it's yeah. not all lives matter. It's really, you know, black people have had to face many, many things that white people haven't.
1: Yeah. And, and what's, really, yeah, what I've been observing about how white people have been dealing with racism. It's so interesting because when white people, when any person, but a white person in the first world has a question, like, where should I travel on a yoga retreat? Or, are there more than one kind of avocado? Just any question, they hop right on Google. But when they have a question about like, is this word harmful or cringy? Or, oh shoot, why why do I suddenly see black folks in my feed saying this thing that I don't understand? They're just like, huh, I guess I'll never know. It's too complex, I'll hide. But give it a Google. Everyone, first of all, black people have been writing about these things for 450 more, more, more years. There's, there are a million answers out there. If you trust Google for all kinds of things, like where should I go on my honeymoon? You can definitely figure out, as I would say, more critical (laughs) things like racism. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yes. I mean, I think it's appalling what you're saying is right. Like people just don't put the time and effort. I'm not saying everyone, but many people don't put the time and effort to actually understand what's going on and to make something, to do something about it, especially. It's, it's, it's beyond my comprehension, but you're also an advocate for queer people.
1: Yes.
0: And you're queer yourself.
1: I am. Yeah.
0: So, and what do you like, what do you advocate around? Is it like specific thing or is it like just inclusiveness in general?
1: I mean, so I uh, came out to myself in high school and to my boyfriend at the time. And then I went to a women's college and I had a very bifurcated friendship circle. Half of my friends were straight and half were gay and the straight ones didn't know that I was queer. And I don't even know how that happened. I think it was like, I never told them on day one. And then it was day two and it kind of felt like it was too late. I can still remember how awkward that felt. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> so weird. I mean, budding sexuality, so weird. Okay. So then when I came out of college, I I think that closet had been too tight for me. My parents knew and I'd had like a live-in girlfriend and another live-in girlfriend. So anyways, People knew, but just not my straight friendship circle. I don't know how that happened, but I came out uh, fully at 24 in terms of I s- founded a community organization for femme queer people. So trans femmes, bi femmes, femme lesbians, anyone else who uh, felt like they were queer or questioning queer and uh, were going to be friendly towards femininity or embracing some kind of femininity in their life. And so that was extremely fun. It was a social organization. It was a political organization. We uh, teamed up with two predominantly Black queer organizations because we were also mad at how white the queer movement was. This was in Boston. And then we also teamed up with the tra- the, this big trans organization in Boston And so that we could all sort of carry each other forward um, when the white gay men were like, it's just us. So moving forward. Um, now I have a husband, a cisgender straight husband who on our first date, I was like grilling him about what he knew about queer people. I was like, do you have any queers in your family? Do you like, you voted for gay marriage, right? Like just asking a lot of questions and he came out on the great side. He came out on better than great on all of them. And I was like, okay, we can go on date number two now that we're past this, but anyways, (laughs) We have an open-ish marriage or monogamish. It's basically 96%. It's just me and him. And then this other wiggle room where uh, I still get to date girls and sleep with girls. And um, I mean, women, obviously I'm using girls loosely. Um, So that feels like such a good fit right now. And he's um, happy for me. He describes it as, You're just like this wild horse who needs to go run. It doesn't take away my masculinity or have anything to do with our relationship. It's a you thing, rock and roll.
0: Wow. (laughs) That is awesome. You know, being with someone that lets you just be you, you know, gives you all the freedom and the space for you to express yourself and do whatever it is that makes you happy. And at the same time, trusting that you're still going to be interested in keeping the relationship alive.
1: Yeah, it makes me much more interested in keeping the relationship alive since he lets me go. So if he'll, if I go to a party, and then I've made out with or a, a woman or um or whatever slept with her or something, and then I come home and then I'm like, I had fun. He's like, a lot of fun, and I'm like, yes. And then it just makes me love him more because he can handle it. He's great at it. So yeah,
0: That's- but
1: for the activism that I do now, my main thing is. I don't like any of the shoulds that are coming from the patriarchy and capitalism that are saying they sort of merge together. I think in what happens to uh, women when they get married, it's like this train they're on. Here's your engagement. Here's your bridal shower. Here's your wedding. I don't know the order of them. Cause I didn't do them. <laughs> but, like, I didn't get married until I was 30. <laughs> but, like, there's a series of things that straight women know they are supposed to do. And they cost lots of money and they are all about purity and uh in somewhere in there is the marriage and then immediately at your first dance at your wedding people are like when are you having babies i basically waited to get married as a proud child free person until i was so old that people would not ask me when the babies are coming (laughs) (laughs) so i rail against any of those shoulds i think if you Everyone should get a clean slate. If you are thinking to yourself, what do I want? And at the end of the day, you come up with, and I want this exact country club, and this exact husband who's this many inches taller, and I want to do a hubby, you want 3.5 children, your true heart's desire, rock and roll. It's just that it's pushed on us by every movie so many people that it's not a choice really to rebel against even one of those things. Like I like to live in a city and that's hugely rebellious like against living in the suburbs. Like who even cares where you want to live? Find the thing that is the song in your heart. But in our society it's so much pressure to do all those things.
0: You're listening to the Honest Upword. A podcast where modern child free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid free community. And now that we're in the subject, yeah. how was your child free journey? How did that happen for you?
1: I know. I was thinking about this as I was getting ready to talk on your podcast, which is one of my faves, by the way. I did not struggle with my child free decision. I don't even call it a decision. What I said to my now husband who already has two kids from a previous marriage and is, is glad to be, um, finished with raising babies also. So it was a perfect match. So what I said to him and what is my truth is I never really decided not to have kids. I just, it's like, I never decided not to, um, live in Japan. Like it never crossed my mind. I don't no too many people in japan i don't have any job prospects in japan i don't know the language like it um it it just never crossed my mind frankly or to become a bodybuilder like i it never crossed my mind it doesn't intrigue me at all it just there's so many things we all have uh, hobbies or places to live that we've just never considered and so it would be very odd if someone asked you why did you what made you decide and what was the main moment where you decided not to live in louisiana america like Who knows? I never thought of it. But what's also true is of course, I got social pressure right from people. I just didn't think it applied to me because I knew I was queer from such an early age. And while I was still like, I always had, um, I'm for most of my life, I've had some men or some women on the dating roster. Right. So, but even when I was dating men, I never was like, this is for marriage. was much more present moment about it and i was never like this is for babies because those never seemed like a thing i wanted so i didn't have any struggle i remember at one point in my feminist book club that i started we read a book called maybe baby and it's an anthology of i don't know 12 women of all colors who are talking about their decisions to have or to not have a baby or to end up still on maybe and i that was the first time I really gave it a think. And I remember reading a statistic in there that said people who decide to have children and people who decide not to have children are the same amount of happy and regretful or not regretful and not happy at the end of their lives, which I'm sure your listeners have heard that, that a million times. But for me, I was like, oh, good. As long as I like am clear about the decision, like when fertility issues come into play, that's a different scene. But like when you're like, I could do with my fertility what I want to. And you get to decide you're apparently as happy at the end of your life. And I'm like, this is great. So it was never a decision. And then uh, I have one friend who is 20 years older than me. And I checked in with her once. I was like, have you ever regretted not having children? And she was like, oh, God, no. I love it. And she also... (laughs) This one part. She travels, she indulges with interest, she reads book a day, like she's really living the dream. She has a hot career. I mean, she has a philanthropy lifestyle. Like there's a lot going on in her life that is extremely rich and giving back.
0: Yeah. I mean, th- this is the, this is the one, I think this is one of the biggest myths out there, I guess, for people who are not child-free and they think that we're all like bitter and angry yeah. and sad and we have like really sad and terrible lives. And we're just trying to dispel that myth because no, I mean, we, I mean, it's interesting what you're saying because most women choose consciously at some point point to, and they say, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to have children. We're talking about child-free by choice, right? Um, I don't think I've met many women like you in the sense of what you just described of just not thinking about it at all. Because the thing is, when you say, well, you know, imagine somebody asking you why Did you decide not to move to Louisiana, the U.S.? Like, for me, that would be ridiculous. But the thing about the babies, it's just so universal. And it is just so expected of any being that has a womb.
1: So I think there is one caveat there, which is back when I was in my 20s and 30s and teens, and I was like, I'm queer and sometimes I have boyfriends, but they weren't like husband people. So I, um, I never was given the pressure as a queer person to have children because it was before gay marriage and most queer women or lesbians did not have children. The lesbian baby boom came a lot after that. And so really it was a free and open choice I had a lot of gay men in my life who uh, were in relationships and like had the best life of travel and philanthropy and foodie and great jobs and fashion and just traveling the world and without children. And I also had lots of queer women in my life, older lesbian couples who were doing that same thing. And so I really, I think I actually missed a lot of that pressure.
0: So- You kind of miss on that because you were queer.
1: I actually think so. So I didn't think about having children. It just, it was not a pressure. And so I, yeah, I appreciate so much that straight women really get handed this fast moving train and they're told to get on it. And it says, you should be this skinny and you should, uh, I mean, there's just so many things. You should be a superwoman and a super mom, and you should have all these babies, and you should also make your husband's lunch. There's just like so <laughs> many things that you have to deal with that yeah. I did not have So I, I, I don't have, that's why I don't have as many good answers about the child-free decision, is because it wasn't pushed on me as much.
0: Yeah, but you know, there's two, okay, there's two things that come to mind. First, I don't yeah. think there are like right or wrong answers in terms yeah. of, you know, everyone has just a different journey. But I I really think that it's so interesting because I hadn't actually had this conversation before with anyone. You know, the fact that you feel that being queer was kind of like the thing that quote-unquote saved you in the way, right. right? It was like, it's like, oh, right. So the world doesn't expect queer women to fill in the same... Uh, roles or to take the same boxes than they do for straight women. And I had never thought about that. And I think it's such an interesting thing, you know?
1: Also, I think it was the timing too, because now that gay marriage in the U S has been around for a bit, uh, gay women are getting a lot more of the pressure that straight women were getting about marriage and all that. And as are gay men, gay men's moms are now asking them, when are you going to have babies and all this stuff? (laughs) marriage, And so that's, the losses, I think, uh, that occurred with gay marriage. And I know this is very controversial. I was fighting for gay marriage. I was there at midnight when Cambridge, Massachusetts opened its doors for gay marriage. Like I am a huge advocate for equality, but I just don't like what it did to freedom of choosing how to shape your marriage and shape your family and shape your life. Because it was like queers got handed the same script that straight women specifically and men to some degree have been handed all these years
0: because marriage is such a a traditional institution and everything that it represents is it is because people say, Oh, you get married to have babies. Like you get married to start a family and you have to like tell people like, no, okay. I, me and my dog, were a family. And if I get married to a child free man, then my husband and I were a family or my wife and I, whoever you choose to get married to. Um, so, so, it's interesting how how that shift actually changed things, yeah. and now queer people are also feeling that same pressure that straight people do yeah. in terms of you know reproducing or at least adopting or I don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean, even just the visibility of the lesbian baby boom made it so that uh, it was a lot more common and then the seed could be planted in people's brains. I mean, my favorite thing that I'm advocating for is that everyone would get to know and have the uh, money and the resources and the support for any option they want. If they want to have 10 children, if they want to have no children, if they want to live in the countryside, if they want to live in the city, like within uh a a reasonable range i think people should be empowered to know if they want to have three parents in a polyamorous family with two children like whatever this the scope is of your family that you want to have rock and roll it's just that straight women are handed this enormously limiting script of how it needs to go how exactly their man is supposed to propose to them like right down to that and it's also leaves a no-win situation for him because he doesn't know the script and he has to stick to it like (laughs) I mostly don't feel like straight men but that is one place the romance department there's not a lot of wiggle room for the straight man these days
0: (laughs) yeah that is absolutely true wow well you have left at least I have a lot of food for thought now that you've opened my eyes to a whole different you know, point of view to, to regarding the child-free, the child-free lifestyle. And it's just so interesting. Thank you so much.
1: Oh my gosh. I was worried that I would have anything interesting to say here. So I really, (laughs) it's been so fun to tell my story and to talk to you about it. I did. It was very unique,
0: but you are You're fun. Like what you're interesting. I don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. (laughs) Like, I didn't think I was going to say anything (laughs) interesting here. (laughs) So before, um, before I sign off with you, I just want to, um, I know that you have like really cool programs going on and I don't know if there's something that you would like to tell my audience about them so they can check them out or sign up. Uh, so what are you brewing right now?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, basically, Uh, I run a course which is called future thought leader and I teach women and queer people how to shine and get media coverage and to lean into their voices in this patriarchal world so whether it's in activism or in your workplace. And the doors close before this podcast goes live but just come friend me on Instagram and we'll follow each other I love meeting people from all over the world, especially my child free siblings (laughs) for Mm -hmm. sure.
0: Awesome. So I'm going to leave all of you guys, Emily's uh, Instagram handle and her website on the description of this episode. So you can go and check it out, follow her. And before I do let you go, if there, is there anything that you would like to add to this, um, to this interview, anything at
1: all? Yeah. The one thing that I will mention is that in a whole nother huge way, I feel like being a queer woman did save me also from, the body shaming that happens so much more to straight women because in the queer community, there's the love and a respect for all kinds of body shapes um, and shapes and sizes and heights and amounts of masculinity and amounts of femininity. And uh, so seeing that and being immersed in that, I never got the idea that I was supposed to be the magazine person, the straight lady on the magazine cover, and I feel so blessed to have been saved from that because I know that's a real doozy, and most uh, most straight women do grapple with body image things. Yeah, and absolutely. That's another way that it saved me, so I wanted to add that point.
0: Well, that's that's also very interesting, and I, you know, it's not only women; it's also men i think yes. in a lesser degree though but body shaming this is the one thing i mean body shaming in women is very common it happens all the time in every single setting not only on the internet but also like in real person it's horrible but there's also nobody talks about body shaming of men and yes. i mean it's i mean it's not people do talk about it but it's not like this big thing and i think it should be because just body shaming in general is
1: is shaming of anyone whether it's glam shaming or intellect shaming or any of those shamings is all bad the reason that i specifically focus on the women one is because uh, when we look at hot like look at any red carpet thing you'll see an old dude with barely any hair with like an extremely hairy back and a million wrinkles and he has a young woman with no wrinkles and all her hair and blah 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 right yeah. so we don't do the reverse and so there is a way in which the one that the body shaming that targets women is so much more severe.
0: Oh yeah, no, I yeah. absolutely agree with you, and it's it's severe to the point that there are women who are actually suffer from mental illnesses because of that.
1: Yes, yes,
0: yes. yes. Or mental distress, at least.
1: Yeah, 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 um, and I know in the um, female community, there's a lot more um, anorexia and bulimia than there is in the straight male community, which is also because basically anyone who's trying to impress a man (laughs) has to do all these body image things that are bad for your mental health.
0: (laughs) It is true.
1: (laughs) where it's just us and we talk about every issue under the patriarchy's
0: umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up for that, like, seriously. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Oh my God. Well, it's been such a pleasure having you here, Emily, honestly, you're such, I love your energy. I, I said it before, I'll say it a million times, you're such a, a fun person to talk to. Um, You're welcome to come back whenever you want. You know that. (laughs) Oh my
1: gosh, I love it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, uh, thanks again for being here and thank you, Firecrackers, for listening to my podcast. I'll see you next week. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the Cape Tree community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire.